Hey, good morning, and thank you for taking the time to log in with us here at New Hope this morning. I hope that you are able to engage, be more than just a viewer, but an engager through Facebook, even YouTube, and EuniceChurch.com. They all have ways for you to leave comments, for you to engage with us, specifically if you are on EuniceChurch.com. Now, in the, coming, in the coming weeks, we will have some announcements as to the direction that we are going to go. We are aware of the governor's statement from this past week that the stay-home mandate has been extended to May 15th, and we are not sure where that mandate will go. We are not sure how those phases will come back. But I want you to know that we look forward not to getting back or, or going back, but we look forward with anticipation to whatever it is that we are able to do and whatever it is that God wants to accomplish through this season. We are anticipating, we are planning as the phases of reopening allow us to do just that. So we appreciate your patience. Uh, I want to encourage you because I know that it is uh, sometimes overwhelming when you look into the unknown and we wonder, how much longer is this going to last? How is this going to affect our economy? When everything opens back up, how many people are going to get sick again? Here's what we want to encourage you with is the thing that we've had to lean into is that we don't try to control what we do not have control over. We control what we can and then we trust God with the rest. So during this pandemic, I have, uh, I've noticed that there have been more people spending more time in this place we refer to as the kitchen. I noticed some of the memes and some of the posts and some of the uh, allusions to what's going on are people make more trips to their refrigerator than ever. I've even seen in a good way that more families are cooking meals together. They're planning things together. They're eating meals together. Uh, my wife has cooked more meals in the last few weeks than ever before. I, I've cooked a few meals in the past few weeks. Some of mine were good. And uh, of course, all of hers, all of hers were great. All of hers were great. Even if they weren't, I'd tell you that they were um, because I like to eat and I have to go home later. A couple of weeks ago, I was feeding my children some fish fillets that um, they thought they had caught. We really put the ones back that they had caught, but the person that let us fish gave us some fillets. And, and uh, I didn't want to go through the trouble of frying all the mess and everything, so I just took those fillets and I took a black skillet, and I put about an eighth of an inch of olive oil in the bottom of that skillet, got it good and hot, and I seasoned and seared those fish about a minute and a half, two minutes on each side, and I would take them out, and they were sitting on a plate. And, and one of my children came over and tried the fish, and she liked the fish. So when the one child saw the other child come over and have some, and that child liked what they had, well, that sparked 
this attraction. I didn't know how much my kids could eat until they were, they didn't bring their school stomach home. They eat all day, every day. My refrigerator door stays open more than my front door right now. So here comes another child. And before I knew it, I was cooking with one hand and I had three little birds. And they were literally standing like this in front of the skillet with their mouths wide open. And I'd just drop a piece of fish. I didn't want to give them all the fish away. We had to make sides. We had to prepare dinner, but there they were. So I I finally said, hey, go sit down. Go sit down. It's actually the title of the message today. Because there are times in our kitchen where my wife and Sometimes I, usually more often my wife, just giving credit where credit's due, love you sweetheart. My wife is in the kitchen and and she's trying to manage me and these three precious gifts from God all at the same time. And they don't realize that she's cooking one thing over here, preparing another thing over here, making something over here. And so they continue to call her name, call her name, and call her name. And then all of a sudden, before we know it, it, it sparks something inside of this. She never does this. This is me. I do this. It sparks something inside of me to spin around and say, go sit down. For the love of all things good within me, please go sit down. Not too long ago, my parents came into town and it was around Easter. And I know you grandparents, you grandparents are, you're very much like Jesus. You always come bearing gifts. And so the, the grandparents come into town and, and it's, Easter, so we've got Easter baskets and Easter presents, and and my my little chickadees come running into the living room, and they're ready to receive their Easter presents, and they're all trying to peek in the bag, and with such patience and virtue, the grandparent will look down at the child and say, "Hey, go sit down. I'll show you." I believe that this is the picture of the scene that we walk into. Today, uh, predominantly, we're going to end up in John chapter 20. But last week, we finished off in Luke chapter 24 and verse 31. The Bible says their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened to a fresh revelation. Their eyes were opened to something that they had not formerly realized. And the Bible says they recognized him. And immediately, as we alluded to in our roundtable review this past week, immediately, when they recognized him, they didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him. He vanished because he was going to the next thing. One of the things I noticed about the Spirit of God in Scripture, even Jesus himself, is, is he doesn't really allow us to stay in the same place and circle around the same thing because he doesn't just see where we are. He knows where we're going. And very similar to the the children of Israel in the wilderness, circling around and around and around. And very similar to some of the stories that I used to hear people older than me say, and now I hear myself saying, man, if I could go back and tell myself just one thing. Man, if, if I knew now, or sorry, if I knew then what I know now. Imagine being one of the Hebrew children, you finally cross over into the promised land and and you had spent the previous possibly 40 years wandering in the wilderness. 
Your parents have passed, that generation is gone, and then you come into the promised land and you think back to your childhood and you're wondering, man, are we ever gonna get out of this thing? Are we ever gonna get to the other side? Is there even really a Jordan River in this wilderness? And then you get to the other side and you inherit the promised land and you begin to conquer your enemies and the wall of Jericho comes tumbling down and you're laying in bed at night as an afterthought with hindsight and you think, man, if I would have known then what I know now, I want to challenge you, even encourage you not to live this season in retrospect. I want to encourage you not to live in the what if when this is over, but to embrace now what God wants to show us and what Jesus wants to reveal to us. Verse 32 of Luke 24, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. See, hindsight is, it's better than perfect. Hindsight is revelational. And I believe that if we will follow Jesus through this season, then we can live in more than just the what if. We can live in the now. Verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. This is where our story picks up. That these disciples found the 11, that Jesus had revealed himself. In Mark, the Bible actually goes straight to the point. Mark's always kind of a straight to the point kind of guy. Mark even in the beginning of his book, he doesn't go through the genealogies like Matthew and, and Luke. He, did, he doesn't set up the, the creation and the word and how that whole thing goes together like John. No, Mark goes, go, Mark goes straight into the miracle man. Like Mark saw Jesus as a superhero and he didn't have time to remember his childhood. He just wanted us to go straight to the point. Mark does that same thing when the disciples... Uh, recognize Jesus and Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. He actually says, look, Jesus showed up in the room. He rebuked them for their unbelief and he declared the great commission. I mean, it's in just a couple of verses and then Mark ends the book. John, again, gives us a little bit more insight. And the reason that he's able to do that is because John had an intimacy with Jesus that nobody else had. It's why he refers to himself as the beloved, disciple that loved. It is he who has insight because of the intimacy that he spent and the time that he invested. And we pick up in John chapter 20, verse 19. The Bible says, on the evening of that day, that very same day, on that evening, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus had revealed himself to Mary Magdalene, the day that he had revealed himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and, and the day that everybody was talking about Jesus being resurrected, the Bible says the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear. Their doors were locked because they were afraid of the Jews. They weren't afraid of Jesus. They weren't afraid of the resurrection because they didn't believe that it had happened. And Jesus did something that only Jesus can get away with doing. Jesus came through the locked door, through the wall, without introduction. And the Bible says he stood among them. And the first thing he said is, peace be with you. 
Now, that's not the first thing that I would have said if I would have just busted through a locked door in a closed-off room. But here's what we can learn if you're taking notes. Number one, fear. And the disciples had fear. The Bible said they feared the Jews. Fear is subject to faith. We have a video our team put together that illustrates this point for us. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came the first time, so the other disciples tried to convince him that Jesus was alive and well. Thomas, I'm telling you, bro, Jesus was here. We saw him. He's alive. Like, he was here. Dude, I can go get my robe to prove it. Ew, please don't. Guys, I know you think you saw Jesus, but I'm not going to believe it unless I can take this hand and put it in that side, or this finger in the wound. That... I'm not believing it. Ew, please don't. One week later. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Okay, I, <laughs> I hope that that ministered to you and, and blessed your soul, or at least woke you up and got your attention. I love how faith comes into the scene in this story specifically. 
It was, a, it was a subtle surprise. I don't know that Jesus burst into the room like I would burst into the room and he yelled necessarily or, or he even meant to scare them. I don't even know if they got scared. I know I would have been scared. In fact, if I were Jesus, I wouldn't have even revealed myself to the disciples so suddenly. I don't know if I would have done it with a surprise. I would have definitely taken advantage of the opportunity to scare somebody because that's just in my nature. But if I was going to scare somebody it probably wouldn't be the disciples I think I'd probably go to Pilate's house now I remember one time I had preached a message similar to this and my idea of the resurrection and Jesus coming back and if I were Jesus I would probably be looking for an opportunity to get revenge if I were Jesus I would go to Pilate's house I'd kick the front door open while he was sound asleep and I would probably Toby Keith him just a how do you like me now kind of a thing and just see how he reacted if I were Jesus, I would probably go to the high priest's house. I would have probably made my way into Caiaphas' sleeping quarters. And I would have gotten right up in his face. And I would have waited for him to turn in my direction. And as he rolled over, I would have said, Caiaphas! I came down. <laughs> That's just me. That's what I would have done. But... Jesus wasn't interested in using his resurrection as an opportunity to get even. That's just not who he was. In fact, Jesus used his resurrection. Jesus used every opportunity to get in, not to get even. It wasn't his objective to come back down here and pay the world back. Now, there is a place where the wrath of God will be poured out, and it's in the book of Revelation, but we are still in a period called the dispensation of grace, and it is still Jesus' desire not to get even with us, not to punish us. This is not what is happening right now in my personal biblical interpretation. It may be a warning. God is always in for making sure that we have a heads up about what's coming and making sure that we are aware but not afraid that we are alert, watchful, and prayerful. But God is in the business of getting in before he ever tries to get even. Jesus saw a locked door, but he came in anyway. Jesus saw a group of people whose faith was lost, but he came in anyway. Jesus saw a group of frustrated unbelievers who were scared, but he came in anyway. Those guys had given up hope. Everything that they had sacrificed for, every, catch this, everything that they had worked for up to that point seemed for naught, null and void. And now they were wondering in that season, just like some of us are in this season, was it even worth it? Did I even accomplish anything? They had given up, and Jesus came in anyway. They were sitting in their home, sound familiar? Sitting in their home, frustrated with their circumstance, irritated with the lack of leadership through the circumstance or explanation within the circumstance, and Jesus came in anyway. It wasn't because they were praying in one mind and one accord. No, they had minimal expectation. 
and Jesus came in anyway. Number two, if you're taking notes, faith will prove itself. Faith will prove itself. Fear is subject to faith. And faith will prove itself. We made this statement last week. I just wanted to remind you, I truly believe this, because there is this misnomer out there, specifically in the realm of gospel presentations, that, man, if you just give your life to Jesus, everything will fall into place. Man, if you just seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else is going to work itself out, friend, that's not what the scripture says. And even if it did say that, you should never take one verse out of context and try to make it benefit you and you alone. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all the things that he was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, those things will be added unto you. And the most things that he was talking about in that passage had to do with the character of the believer becoming more like Christ, not selfishly adding more things to their own repertoire to use for themselves. See, what we do have a promise for in Scripture is that everything may not fall into the right place. But as long as we follow Jesus, we'll end up in the right place. And me following Jesus is not dependent upon how comfortable it is, unless it is. Me following Jesus is not dependent upon whether the circumstances provided the right opportunity, because circumstances are not my Savior. They're certainly not my salvation. The point is, even when our faith is faint, maybe even just like a less than a mustard seed, we must remain faithful. I don't get to be in a marriage covenant relationship and base my faithfulness off of my feelings. I don't get to base my faithfulness off of my fear or her investment into me. I don't get to base my faithfulness to my children. None of that stuff is dependent upon what's going on around me or what's going on inside of me. I must remain faithful. I'm just being completely honest. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or, or add to the stress or the weight of this season. But when you look through this word, when I look through this word, I see a God in Scripture who does not do a whole lot with the faithless or the unfaithful. In fact, I believe it was Mark that wrote, there was a place that Jesus went into and he could not heal. And his ability to reveal himself was dependent upon not just their belief, not just our perception of their faith, but those people's faithfulness now, on the other end of the spectrum, let me just help you and make sure that we all understand that faith doesn't have to be blind. I don't just have to walk around with blind faith for the rest of my life. Hey, you're going to love this in our roundtable review tomorrow. I have a former student who went to Southwestern Assembly of God University and got his master's degree in apologetics or being able to explain the why behind the what giving an explanation for our faith. His name's Corey Webb. He's going to be in a live with me tomorrow at lunch for you to tune into. One of the things I love that Corey told me early on that he began to learn is that faith is not blind. 
that faith is not unreasonable. Sometimes it is to other people that don't understand it. But for the believer, it makes total sense. For the person that's been following Jesus, faith is not blind. It may start out that way. You may come to a place where you're like, look, I don't really understand this. I know, I just know that I'm supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. I just, that's what the scripture says. But friend, listen, the further that you walk, the more you're going to see. When Jesus had the disciples go sit down, I want to show you something. When I had my children go sit down, when the grandparents had our children go sit down, it wasn't just because they were in trouble or because they were being too loud or because we weren't finished. No, it was because we had something available to them. And so when you wait on the Lord, it's because he wants to renew your strength. When he tells you to do something, it's because he wants to reveal himself to you. You may not understand in the moment, but if you will walk by faith and not by sight, as long as you keep walking, you will see before you get to the end of that road, just like those guys on that road to Emmaus last week. Verse 20, John chapter 20, says, when he had said this, he showed them. See, faith is not just blind. Faith will prove itself. If you remain faithful, God will show himself faithful in this life and the next. He will. Show himself faithful. The problem is that we stumble and we call it a fall. And so we go back to the way that we were instead of continuing in the way that he created us to be. Show yourself faithful. When he said this, he showed them his hand and his sign. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, <laughs> now you understand, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Continuing on in John chapter 20, verse 24, the Bible says, Now Thomas, you saw Thomas in the skit earlier, one of the twelve. He wasn't there the first time. The one that they called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came in. He wasn't there the first time that Jesus burst into the room without introduction or warning and I'm just imagining that he hollered, peace be with you, just like we illustrated for you. So the other disciples told him, hey, listen, we saw the Lord. Like, I'm telling you, man, he scared all of us. He was here like that door was locked, the windows were closed, the building was tight. Like, we were hiding because we were afraid of the Jews. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came in the room. Thomas like, nah. <laughs> he said to them, hey, look, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails. And unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and my hand into his side. Watch this. Thomas said, I will never believe. Number three, faith is not finished. I didn't want to go too far into this, but I just feel the need to explain it. The New Testament says that when we go through trials and tribulations, we should count it a joy because this challenge will produce a perseverance. And that perseverance character and that character hope. And the Bible says that faith is being sure of what you hope for 
and certain of what you do not see. But he doesn't expect you to walk through life blindly. He just expects you to follow him until he shows you what he wanted you to see. You know what I love about this scripture in John chapter 20? And even though Thomas wasn't there the first time, even though Thomas said, I will never believe. Unless I see it, I will not believe it. Jesus knew exactly what Thomas would need in order to believe, and he was willing to do it. If Jesus was willing to do it for Thomas, why wouldn't he be willing to do it for us? Faith is not finished. This may sound like a catchy cliche for you, but I'm telling you, in this season, this young pastor has had to remind himself of that phrase. Because it seems like that in this season, and I hope this is getting in somebody's spirit right now, it's so hard to really find fulfillment in preaching to a bunch of empty chairs. It's, I, it's really hard to find fulfillment. See, the person that said ministry would be great if it weren't for the people obviously never tried to do ministry without any people involved because this is miserable. The person that thought it would be a good idea to just recluse themselves in a house and be left alone for the rest of their lives Man, about five weeks into this mess, we understand how much we really needed one another. And in this moment, I've had to remind myself, doesn't it seem like the enemy? Now, he's not omnipresent, as we reminded you in our roundtable review this past Monday. But he does have a third of heaven falling with him. And the Bible does say that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of darkness. And doesn't it seem like to you that the enemy picks times like these? And knows exactly what and when and how to hit you and get you down or keep you down or knock you further down than you already feel like you are. And you come to this place, you're like, okay, I'm done, man. Faith isn't. Okay, God, I can't do this anymore. And faith says, no, 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 you're not finished. I'm not finished. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. If, if suffering and trials and tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope, and hope is the substance, is faith unseen, then I'm telling you that faith is not finished doing whatever he began whenever he begins it. Faith is not finished. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves that faith is not finished Look at verse 26, the Bible says eight days later. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. This time, Thomas is there. He's where he's supposed to be. He's listening. Some of you have listened to the gospel for years, and you've just never really truly surrendered your life to Jesus. Some of you are like Thomas. You've listened to the gospel for years. You even lived it out for a season of your life. But for whatever reason, you've drifted away. And right now, you doubt whether there is, even is a God. And if he hears a word that you're saying. But you're still listening. And today is a divine appointment for you. That some preacher will look right into the camera and read your mail. And remind you that faith is not finished with you. That some church would come together and continue to do their best to produce services online, and God help us be as innovative as possible between those services that we're producing, just to remind you that faith is not finished. 
that we're not going back. We're moving forward. Because God has a plan for us now just like he did them then. Verse 26, eight days later. Something specific about the eighth day that you need to remember. See, the whole world was created, the entire universe, everything that was and is and is to come was created in six days. And the Bible says that God rested on the seventh. Seven is the number of completion. It is the time that it took to create the world. But the eighth day is the first day of the new thing. See, this eighth day was very specific for Thomas. I'm believing for God to give somebody an eighth day. We're not going back to what we knew. We're not going back to where we were. We're not getting back to what we wanted. No, we're about to walk into an eighth day season. We're about to walk into an eighth day revelation. We're about to walk into an eighth day relationship with Jesus where the harvest of the church comes to pass unlike it ever has before because it may feel like he's resting on the seventh, but really he's preparing for the first of the new and Thomas was in that room his disciples were inside again Thomas is with them although the doors were locked they still got the doors locked man these guys didn't even learn a week ago open the door like Jesus came in revealed himself they're supposed to believe why do they have the door locked again do they want Jesus to bust up in there they're just asking for it right now. The door is locked. Jesus came and stood among them, just as you saw in the video. Peace be with you. Probably didn't scare him. He's Jesus. It wasn't really in his nature. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, Hey, as if he were in the room the time before when nobody thought he was. Can I tell you that Jesus is there even when you don't sense him? Jesus is there even when you don't see him. Jesus is there even when you don't feel him. Just like he heard Thomas's complaint, like he heard Thomas's doubt. Like he had been standing in the room even though nobody else realized it. See, Jesus has been around. Jesus has been waiting for this moment to reveal himself to Thomas. He has been around and he has been waiting for this moment to reveal himself to you. Hey, Thomas, come here. You've been sitting. I told you to sit down. You've been waiting. Come here. I want to show you something. And Thomas stands up and he walks over to Jesus and Jesus says, put your finger here. You see my hands? Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Do not disbelieve. No matter how it feels. No matter what you've said in the past that you were going to require God to do to prove himself. No matter what you've done in the past because you didn't feel like God was proving himself. Do not disbelieve. Watch this. But believe. Because fear is subject to faith. 
And faith will prove itself. And faith is not finished. Thomas answered and said what I hope is stirring in your spirit this morning. My Lord and my God. I would maybe even encourage you to go ahead and confess that. Some of you may need to close your eyes right now and open up your hands and say in a verbal confession because we've been confessing all kinds of other things and we've been rehearsing with our words all kinds of stuff. No telling what we've said over the last five weeks that needs to be repented for, but I want you to notice that Thomas did not continue or begin in that moment to vomit on Jesus all the stuff that he had said, all the things that he had done. He understood that Jesus was there the whole time, but he loved him enough to reveal himself anyway. So Thomas simply confessed in surrender, my Lord, my God, I'm sorry but I'm back. Faith isn't finished. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Listen, church, this is for you. Individual who's been struggling with the same sin for years, this is for you. Person like me at times in my life who has had a hard time believing that there was a God, much less he was listening to me. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to ask you this question in closing. Do you still believe? Which category do you fit into? Do you believe that God saw our current situation coming? Do you believe that God saw the pandemonium in January and February when all the prophecies of the new year were coming to pass? Do you believe that God can still make a way even though there seems to be that cliche of no way? Do you believe that even when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, God can shine a light and show you the writing on the wall that is a present word right where you are? Do you believe? I want you to ask yourself this question. Is my faith guiding my feelings? Or is my fear because we see two statements and categories, two standings, disbelief and belief, fear and faith. So when I ask, do you believe, what I'm really asking is, will you put your faith in him? Am I allowing my faith in Jesus to determine the way that I feel. Chris, I can't help the way that I feel. You may not be able to help the way that you feel, but you can determine the way that you keep feeling. You can decide whether you want to continue to feel the way that you, that you currently feel.
And just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean you're supposed to feel that way. You can preach with the word of God yourself out of those feelings if you will replace that fear and replace that disbelief and you will replace those feelings with faith. You'll be amazed if you take the, oh, that doesn't work. Why don't you give it a shot? Is my faith guiding my feelings? Is my faith guiding my emotions, my frustrations? Or am I letting frustration guide my feelings or fear guide my feelings? Am I letting my faith guide my confidence? Is faith my God? Do I really believe this stuff that we keep speaking on and talking about? Is this really who I am? Or is it just something that I've read and heard my entire life? Is my faith guiding my social media? I'm going to hanky wave myself. Or receive myself an offering if I had any money in my pocket. My kids are pulling up couch cushions right now and looking for all my change. They have run out of things to do. I'm going to take all their change when I get home. Is my faith guiding my Facebook? What I post, what I don't post, who I message, what I look at, what I click on. Is my faith guiding my Instagram? Is my faith guiding my messenger, my text messages? Is my faith guiding the apps that I'm downloading on my phone? Because listen to me, friend, faith doesn't go away just because you type in your password. Jesus is right there, and you can't delete what he's seen. Is my faith guiding my Snapchat? Is my faith guiding my post? Is my faith guiding my screen time? When you get on this thing, is any of that time that you're spending on your screen even devoted to Jesus? And we wonder why we're so miserable. It's my faith guiding my reactions and my responses to government restrictions and requests. But can I just, I'm so glad the government hadn't shut down Walmart. Will y'all please quit complaining about Walmart being open? If they shut down Walmart, we all, in, I'm in big trouble. Like, you may be at home and have all your stuff, but I need Walmart to stay open. <laughs> I hope this is amusing to you. Because what's not amusing is that I have seen, and Walmart's a side joke, but I have seen some very faithful people begin to communicate out of frustration instead of faith. I have seen some very faithful people, myself included. I've had to be careful. I have to watch. I have to examine my heart, especially when things seem heartless or when I think this is a political agenda. Is my faith guiding my reactions, guiding my responses to governmental restrictions? Well, that state's opening up. Why in this state? Well, that governor said, why is my governor? Well, that city did. Why is our city not? Why don't you just put your faith and your trust in God and remember that every authority is still positioned under him? Maybe he is trying to teach us something in this moment. Is my faith 
determining my reactions and my responses to the simplest request and the strictest restrictions. Is my faith, final question, guiding my lifestyle, my actions, my decisions? I heard Mark Batterson say this. I may have even said it somewhere at this point. I can't even remember all the things that have been posted and listened to over the last few weeks. He said it's easy to act like a Christian sometimes it's hard to react like a Christian it's my faith some of you have more free time than you've ever had before and you're finding that powers and principalities of darkness become way more tempting when you have too much free time I want you to notice that Jesus didn't walk into the room with a stick ready to discipline Thomas he walked in with evidence ready to reveal himself to Thomas. Is my faith guiding my lifestyle? I close with this. If Jesus did it for the disciples when they didn't believe, then why would he not do the same thing for you? If Jesus did it for Thomas when he wasn't where he was supposed to be, even when he did, he made an undeniable statement of doubt. And yet Jesus still revealed himself, still forgave him, still showed himself faithful. If he did that for the people in the New Testament, then why would he not do that for you and for me right now? If you would bow your head and close your eyes wherever you are, whenever you're watching. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your spirit is not subject to a time or place, position or person. God, right now, I pray that you would enter into the heart of every individual that's in, within hearing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir with these questions. Do I believe? Does my behavior reflect my belief? And God, I pray that every follower of Jesus right now would take inventory. Are we setting the best example? Are we spreading and sharing from the tree of life or are we confusing and confounding and adding to the chaos by just sharing knowledge and being just as frustrated as the people that don't even have any faith Lord help us to be on the right side of faith help us to be on the right side of belief and finally Lord I pray that if there's anybody that maybe feels like Thomas today they haven't given their lives to you or maybe they did at one point but they haven't been living for you they've been living in doubt they've been living in fear they've been living in shame or guilt or maybe even they have just been living in all out rebellion God I thank you that you're no respecter of persons but you're a lover of all for you showed your love for us in this that while we were still sinning you gave your life so we could live if you need to give your life to Jesus right now, no matter where you are, I want to invite you to open your hands. I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Church, I want you to join in and unite your faith with every person, wherever and whenever they will pray. As we believe God 
to hear us from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal even our land. Come on, let's pray together. Jesus, forgive me for my doubt, for my fear, for my failure. God, renew a right spirit in me. I believe you gave your life on a cross. You were resurrected from the dead. I believe that faith is not finished and that your target, your objective was relationship with me. My Lord, my God, take my life and make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart as long as I live, just like Thomas. In Jesus' name, amen.